Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You can follow me at Mike Dugar. That is M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. I'm also verified. So there's a blue check next to my name if you didn't catch any of that. Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at C-K-I-D-D-206. And that's C-Kid-206. We have a special guest with us to talk NFL Draft. You know a subject that Chris and I are not scared to say we are not experts on. <laughs> what we do know how to do is call the experts. So we have NFL Draft Analyst Rob Rang. Uh, Rob, what up, man? How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me on, as always. Oh, we are very happy to have you on, man. We don't. We are not good at pretending we know about these kids. Uh, we, we we know the Wazoo guys, and that's it. <laughs> and, and, and and that's it. But I wanted to start with the just overall looking at the defensive end class here. It's been talked about for months how really good you know the pass rushers are in in this group, whether it's guys like you know. Nick, Nick Bosa at, at the top or even, uh, you know, Rashawn Gary out of Michigan. Just like, is is the defensive end class, like, as good as it's hyped up to be? And, and what exactly does that mean? Does that mean, like, we're looking at Pro Bowl talents in round one or, like, that you can maybe snag an all-pro guy in, like, round four because it's so deep? Like, what does this hyped up mean? Well, I, I think that it's not just a defensive end class, defensive tackles as well, but it, it is the best defensive class that I've ever seen. And I've been doing this for almost 20 years. And, you know, I, I, I had done a podcast earlier this year with um, former Seahawks and, and several other teams, executive Scott McLuhan. And, you know, besides just my opinion, I mean, he said that it was the best defensive line class that he's ever seen. And he's been doing this for, you know, 25 plus years, obviously, at an NFL level. So it really is a phenomenal class. It has top line talent. Um, I, I certainly expect Nick Bosa, Montez Sweat, uh, those types of players, Cleveland Farrell from, from Clemson. I expect all those guys, Rashawn Gary from Michigan, uh, I expect all those guys to be top 10, top 15 selections. And there are some intriguing players likely to be available uh, in, in rounds two and three. I don't know they're going to necessarily be able to find a pro bowler in round four or five, uh, but there are some intriguing players that, that have that upside to them that maybe a year in the weight room that they could be that type of player. So that's the thing is, is there's the top end talent and there's a lot of sleepers in this year's draft class at that edge rusher role, um, which fits right in with what the Seahawks are looking to do. You mentioned Cleveland Farrell out of Clemson and Rashawn Gary out of Michigan. I'm curious about Brian Burns. Could he potentially end up in the mold of maybe what the Seahawks are looking for, or are you leaning more towards a Montez Sweat and maybe a Cleveland Farrell to fall to the Seahawks if they were to even fall that high, that low, I guess? Well, I, all three of them I really like for the Seahawks. I mean, because all three of them kind of play a Seahawks brand of football, and you know, but in different ways. Uh, you know, Farrell from Clemson. I mean, he has the one, he's the one that has the most impressive numbers. I mean, he was just very productive throughout his entire career while at Clemson. Um, and now there, there's some concern about the fact that he was surrounded by so much talent. I mean, those two defensive tackles next to him, they're also going to go in the first round, and that left him. That left him a lot of single blocks to, to beat, but he used his hands really well. He's very, very strong. I mentioned Scott McLuhan before. I mean, before the season even began, Scott was comparing Farrell to, to Julius Peppers. Wow. And I don't know that he's that caliber of an athlete. That he's going to have that kind of longevity, but this is a plug-and-play type of a player. He's just not quite as quick twitch, not, not quite as, as quick off the edge as, say, a Brian Burns. Brian Burns reminds me a lot of Bruce Irvin back when he was coming out of West Virginia. 
in that he was a little undersized, but he was so darn fast off the edge. Um, he does have the ability to kind of flip his hips and, and be able to drop back into coverage. He, he measured in at 6'5", uh, 249 pounds at the combine, which is a legitimate 15 to 20 pounds heavier than he played uh, at Florida State, but he was still really, really athletic. So he is a little bit more of that guy that you, you – he's not quite uh, what he's going to be. He's still just a pup. And so he's a player that I know a lot of people are high on. I love the upside on him. I think that he can be that speed rusher for you immediately. I'm really curious to see what he's going to be two, three years from now. I think that he might be able to kind of overtake a guy like Farrell. Um, and then you, you had another player, I'm sorry, that uh, whose name I miss and the, the third player. Was that Montez Sweat or Rashawn Gary? I'm not sure which one that was. Yeah, Rashawn Gary. Rashawn Gary kind of he, he's the one who signed with uh, with Michigan with all the hype I mean he was literally one of the highest rated prep players at any position in the entire country and He's a phenomenal athlete. Um, he's kind of a mix between the two, to be honest with you, in that he, he measured in really well, but he wasn't nearly as productive as you'd like to think that he'd be. It, it, you know, his height and his speed, I mean, four sixes at 280 pounds. I mean, that's just crazy talk. But at the same time, uh, when you watch him on tape, he wasn't asked to be really that edge rusher. He was asked to play a little bit of two-gap at times and really hold up at the point of attack. And so because of that, he, he's versatile. And the Seahawks, of course, love versatility. So Farrell, to me, is, is the guy who is going to be the rock-solid, you know, you know, blue-collar type of worker. Brian Burns is the one who has the higher upside as a, as a true pass rusher. Um, and then with Rashawn Gary, he has the versatility. The Seahawks have placed a lot of priority um, on the pass as well as that high athletic upside as well. So he's probably the one who's the most intriguing from a complete standpoint, but he's also the one I think is going to be drafted the highest of the three. I'd be shocked if Rashawn Gary is still on the board at number 21 overall. Wow, okay. I do want you to put a, put your GM hat on real quick and pretend you're running the Seahawks organization. Who would you look to go for if, in fact, of course, Seahawks are going to trade? Who do you go for in this draft if you want to get a defensive end? Uh, if you want to get a defensive end, I, I, of those players, then I, I still think it has to be Montez Sweat. He's okay. a player that I've put in with the Seahawks for a long time. He, he's got the upside to him. He's got a little bit of character issues, which is one of the reasons why he might slip down the board a little bit. Um, but I just like the fact that he not only had put up a phenomenal workout, which is the kind of stuff that Pete Carroll is going to love. He always did going back to his spark days at USC. But he also that you, you see that production on tape as well. You see the athleticism, I should say, on tape as well. Um, at Michigan State, he was a stud. He goes to Mississippi State, he was a stud. He goes to the Senior Bowl, where he doesn't have his, uh, his, his the defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons, another first-round caliber player. Uh, and yet still, Montez Sweat was the best player at the Senior Bowl as well, and then followed that up with the Combine. I mean, just checks every single box all along the way. That said... Again, I think that he is a player who's likely to be off the board, the top 10, top 15 picks. If he somehow starts to slide down, I think that he has the upside that, that warrants you possibly considering moving up a little bit forward. I know the Seahawks only have four picks right now, but you know if there is some type of trade, you know, have that, there's the, con, the Frank Clark conversations and all that kind of stuff. If you do find yourself in a position to go get an edge rusher, Montez Sweat is the kind of the guy that I think that makes a lot of sense. Speaking of Sweat, what kind of combo do you think, granted Frank Clark, he stays under the franchise tag, what kind of combo do you think that would be having Sweat and Frank Clark rushing the quarterback? Maybe 10-sack season for the rookie, or is that too high? Uh, I think that he's got that type of 
potential, certainly, because then he'd be getting some single blocks. Um, you know, with Frank Clark's ability to take to go on play on both sides, then I think that that allows Montez Sweat to kind of focus in on going off on that right tackle edge. Um, you, you think about the quarterbacks in this in, in the NFC West division, at least as it stands right now, assuming that Josh Rosen is in the Cardinals, you know Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo uh, coming off the injury are going to be the quarterbacks for the Rams and the 49ers. I mean, th- that's not a lot of athletic guys. I mean, so the, those are some players that if Montez Sweat and Frank Clark are able to kind of rush up field, you got Jaron Reed in the middle and Puna Ford, their ability to, to beat single team blocks as well. I think be a, that'd be a fierce enforcement for the Seahawks. And then, you know, the, the players that they signed here recently, Cassius Marston, Nate Orchard, I mean, they, these are legitimate pro edge rushers themselves. So I think that it would be a, uh, it would certainly be exciting for Seahawks fans if, if the if the, the Seahawks were able to get an edge rusher uh, like a Montez Sweat and then be able to main, uh, retain Frank Clark as well. And when when the draft is so deep, or when it's quote unquote loaded with talent, uh, we we spend a lot of time on guys who are at the top, as we as we should. Those are the big names. Those are like the considered to be the game changing talents. Is this a deep draft that maybe at the D line, D tackle and, and, and DE positions where, all right, cool, there's, there's these top guys, but the Seahawks in particular need more picks. So could they still maybe trade back and even if they draft a guy and late on day three or early on day four, still get a possibly a game changing prospect? Well, game change is going to be tough, but there, there's some guys here that I, I'm very intrigued by. Um, there, there's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, I, I think as it stands now, you know, you're looking at the second and third rounds, then a couple of players who aren't getting much attention, and they're not the speed guys, but they're really good players. Um, would be like Anthony Nelson from Iowa, who's 6'7", 271, sounds like a big, slow guy, looks like a big, slow guy when you, when you just kind of see his face and all that kind of stuff, but this kid can play. Uh, you know, and it's a, some of the things that intrigued you, that intrigued the Seahawks about Malik McDowell, uh, is exactly what Anthony Nelson shows, except that he is a high effort type of player. But just for being a big man, he really can move very, very well. Joe Jackson is a player from Miami. It, it's it's kind of crazy. In today's day and age, we, we rarely talk about the University of Miami as having sleepers, but because they're kind of on falling on, on tough times here, no, no one's talking about the Canes anymore, and Joe Jackson is a terrific player. Should be available in that mid-second round, maybe even the third round, just because there could be so many teams going after all these edge rushers, that a guy like Joe Jackson didn't work out phenomenally well. Um, it, you know, He might be available somehow at that point. Ja'Kai Blight uh, from Florida is a guy who is kind of you know he's been beaten up a little bit in this whole combine process because he didn't work out very well but my goodness he was a terrific football player for florida gators last year he led the entire country with seven forced fumbles i mean and he has that quick twitch burst that that the seahawks have always prioritized um so he's a very intriguing player and then i would be remiss if i didn't mention a kid named max crosby uh this is from eastern michigan and he had one of the most phenomenal workouts he's 6'5 255 pounds and ran mid four sixes i think he should come off in the third round i think there's a possibility that that he's still available on early uh you know on day three fourth round or so and the thing about crosby is that you watch him on tape and he does have the athletic ability you look for on those quick twitch kind of edge rushers the guys that have that initial burst to beat people with just speed he's also pretty uh flexible he can kind of dip and duck move back inside a little bit he's just not very strong yet 
yet, but you can see the upside to him. So kind of like the Seahawks kind of invested a year ago in Rasheem Green based on, you know, kind of betting on his upside. That's the same kind of thing you have here with Max Crosby. And at Eastern Michigan, he's not getting nearly the love of some of these other guys we mentioned from Mississippi State or Clemson or what have you. I love talking about guys that could be value picks because you know yeah. that's what the Seahawks are thinking. That's all they're about. That's what they're good at. Yeah, unless you take a running back in the first round. But other than that, <laughs> no, they're, they're looking at looking at value. Uh, Rob, I know you were out in Pullman uh, for the Washington State Pro Day. You know, we we kind of have like a big three going of of guys who you know are going to be entering the draft and are probably going to get drafted. Uh, Gardner Minshew, a quarterback, you know, left tackle Andre Dillard, and and running back James Booby Williams. You know, what do you foresee uh, for for those guys uh, come draft weekend? Well, you know, it's funny because with Andre Dillard, I wasn't quite as high as uh, you know as some of the others in the draft analyst world. I, mean, I got to give NFL.com and NFL Network's Daniel Jeremiah a lot of credit uh, because he was the first one that I know of that was kind of trumpeting uh, Dillard as, as a first-round caliber player. And and I was very, very high on Dillard entering the year. I love his feet. And in my opinion, he has the best feet of any left tackle in this draft class. But at the same time, I also want to kind of caution that the Pac-12 didn't exactly have a murderer's row of edge rushers this year. And so I really want to see Andre Dillard in person at the Senior Bowl, and he was phenomenal there. And so that was really where the the first-round talk really got going, uh, at least in full force, at least in my opinion, where I felt more comfortable with stamping that type of a grade on him. I do think that he's going to go in the first round. I do have some reservations about him. He was not quite as impressive in that pro-day workout as I thought that he would be. Frankly, Caleb McGarry from Washington was a little bit better uh, in in his pro day, which I saw just a couple of days before. But at the same time, Caleb McGarry is more of a run-blocking kind of an offensive lineman. He's very effective in pass protection as well, but Andre Dillard is an absolute superstar, a a Pro Bowl caliber left tackle in a pass-blocking offense. And with the exception of the Seahawks and a couple of other teams in the NFL, most teams, of course, are throwing the ball a lot so if i could just absolutely imagine andre dillard playing with one of these teams that's going to throw the ball a lot and him have him be a plug and play type of a guy um and, and that's we've seen wazoo uh, turn out a fair number of offensive linemen here in recent years this is the guy who has the highest upside is certainly going to be the highest draft pick of that group you mentioned gardner mentioned I mean, what a terrific story um you know just a you know to me, it's it's bigger than sports. I'm just you know kind of excited just to to talk about him because of what he brought Pullman, um, what he brought to the Senior Bowl. I mean, the fact that he was voted just like he was at Wazoo, where it was voted a team captain within a couple of days of me his teammates, just kind of talks you know just speaks to his uh, you know just his personality and his competitiveness. Um, at the pro day again, it wasn't a phenomenal pro day performance. Uh, you know there was a lot of drops by some of his receivers didn't help him out but he does not have a monster arm but he is very effective um when the the game is you know when you're actually playing the game in fact in in his ability to to read defenses and just pepper the ball all around the field um and and again the leadership ability and that's the thing is that you're looking at Gardner Minshew as a backup quarterback and and people just kind of laugh at that but backup quarterback has to be one of the most professional people on the team he's got to be ready at at a moment's notice he has to have the respect of his teammates he has to you know obviously understand the game plan those are some of the things that Gardner Minshew not only 
no, not only can do, but has proven that he can do. So I'm a big fan of Gardner Mitchell. I do believe he's most likely to come off the board probably in day three, fourth, fifth rounds. Similar, similar to, to Luke Falk, uh, but I actually like Minshew's upside more than I did Falk. And then finally with, with James Williams, you know, this is a pretty solid running back class. It's not very good at the top, but it's better in the later rounds. There are some talents out there. No one is better at the running back position at catching the ball out of the backfield than James Williams. And his statistics bear that out. You see how soft his hands are. And so, again, like Dillard, there's so many teams out there who need help in, 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 the, in the passing game. And so that's what's going to help James Williams also, in my opinion, be a day three pick, probably the last of the three Cougars to get drafted, but at the same time, I think that he has a high upside in the NFL as a complimentary change of pace back. Now, I'm glad we started with the Cougs first, right? Because we had to, you know, we have to prioritize, right? Absolutely. The, we won 11 games. The Huskies did not. That, that, that's the only, it ends right that's the only fact I'm going to go with because that is the argument that holds holds true. Now, we can talk about some Huskies because, you know, we are, we are in Seattle, you know, and they have a lot of guys who uh, are draft prospects. I think they got, what, nine combine invites, which is yeah. absurd. Uh, but, you know, there's a couple guys that have been linked to the Seahawks as potential fits, uh, Taylor Rapp uh, and Byron Murphy. Do you, do you think either of those guys, if they're there, maybe in late first round, could could be uh, potential Seahawks prospects? Well, I, I think that in the late first round, Byron Murphy would make a lot of sense. Uh, I, I would be surprised if he's on the board at 21. And there's a possibility. I mean, he's a good football player, though. I mean, the the, the fact that he ran four five five it, it scares some people off. It doesn't scare me off. I mean, I, I've watched this kid for the last couple of years, and he's just buttery smooth in the way that he is able to change directions. He's got terrific instincts. He's got good ball skills. In my opinion, other than elite straight-line speed, which, frankly, I think it's a little bit overrated. Uh, I, I think otherwise, I think he's the best cornerback in this draft class. And, and so um, I think that he should go higher. If he's on the board, then I, I believe that he would be among their highest rated players. But I'm not so sure that cornerback is the huge position of concern. Nickel is definitely a concern. But the, the fact that the Seahawks have had so much success in finding these, these corners that fit their scheme in the fourth, fifth, sixth rounds is one of the reasons why I'm not so sure that that would be the direction they would go. Uh, at the same, I'm also very, very high on, on Taylor Rapp. The fact that he ran as poorly as he did his pro day is definitely going to have an effect. And it's not just because the fact that it was slower than expected. It's the fact that this is a phenomenal safety class. We talked about the defensive ends before. Safety is right there um, as being one of the elite positions in this year's draft class. And so by Taylor Merak running, unfortunately, the way he did, there could be several other safeties who are going to wind up jumping ahead of him. And they, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson for Florida, or Imani Hooker from Iowa, uh, Nasir Adderley from Delaware. These are all players that might have been selected ahead of Taylor Rapp in the in the first place, but once they all were running in the the high four fours to low four fives, and Taylor Rapp ran four seven seven, then the, he's most likely going to be falling behind them. That said, I think that he's an absolute stud football player. I think that he is going to be a starting NFL safety. He is, in my opinion, the best open field tackler in this entire draft class. That includes 
any of the linebackers, anybody else, he is just that good of a tackler. I've never seen a miss, an open field tackler. An open field tackler, I've been watching him back to his high school days. Um, he is just, he has incredible short area quickness, and he just adjusts at the very, very last second to make solid form tackles. And I think that translates very well to the NFL. Um, and so I don't know that he's going to go in the first round. In fact, I'd be surprised if he did. But at the same time, I do believe that he's going to be a starter early in his NFL career. And he does fit with the Seahawks, too. And so if there's a trade-back scenario, I think the Taylor Rapp would make a lot of sense for the Seahawks. How do, from like a draft evaluator standpoint, how do teams and scouts like compare what they see on film in terms of a guy like Rapp speed versus, you know, Wang, like, oh, man, he was slow when I saw him. You know, how, how does that balance go with a guy like that? Is it Does one, like, measure of uh, evaluating take precedent over the other? Like, how does that work? Oh, no, the tape always takes precedent. Um, but at the same time, if you expect a player to run really well based off the tape and then he runs pretty slowly, uh, you know, for the 40-yard dash time, then what I do, uh, to be honest with you, is I, I try and contact either the player agent or, if I can, then find out who the trainer is and, and speak to them about, okay, what is this? was this a bad day? Did, did he not eat his Wheaties that morning? What's the deal? <laughs> you know, or is this a guy who you know, has been consistently clocking a lot faster earlier in his training? And that's the feedback that I've been getting is that Taylor Rapp ran significantly better in the four fives, four sixes at the lowest, or at the worst, I should say, um, th- consistently throughout his training. Now, again, I don't, maybe it was the pressure. There was a lot of folks there. Um, I, I don't know what it was. Maybe it's just that he runs that much faster when he actually sees a football or somebody to tackle I don't know uh, I know that his high school coach was there there was a, there was some you know there, there was some different people who were at that pro day that maybe just added something to it that that you know contributed to his struggling but for me I would much rather have a player who plays fast than a guy who runs fast and shorts and doesn't play nearly as fast and I would I would actually mention a player Zedrick Woods a safety from Mississippi had the fastest 40 yard dash time this year 4.29 seconds electronically timed but based on tape i thought he was a four six guy and undraftable and, <laughs> and so that's the thing is that i will take taylor Rapp, and i promise you there's a lot of nfl teams out there who would take taylor Rapp any day of the week over a player uh you know like is woods who, who ran incredibly well for the stopwatch but you don't see that same type of speed on the tape i, I think we should stick with the dbs i know mike had a few guys that he wanted to mention uh yeah actually you you kind of touched on some of them Rob we spent a lot of time on Taylor Rapp Husky fans better show me some <laughs> love man that's because I, I was I, I did feel bad for the kid when it looked like he ran you know so slow because uh, he looked fast he tears us up every year I know he look <laughs> no he looked fast uh, I mentioned uh, Nasir Adderley. Uh that's he he's a, he's a guy I've seen that like even though he played what at what Delaware State Delaware is it, is Delaware the, yeah uh, uh, yeah like. But somehow he's like ranked as like one of the best safeties in his class. Is, is do I have that right? Like, what's so special about this kid? Well, just about everything, other than the fact they played at Delaware. I mean, he's got NFL <laughs> bloodlines. His, uh, I believe it was his cousin or his uncle was was Herb Adderley, um, who was a Hall of Fame player with the Green Bay Packers, um, and, and so he's got that going for him. He's got size. He's got speed. Uh, he's got ball skills. He's terrific uh, in terms of getting interceptions, and and then he's a great tackler as well. Um, to me, you know, you, you watch Delaware Blue Hens, and you know, you watch them on tape, and you're like, okay. Well, they're not going up against that tough, that tough a competition. And so, you know, I, I've been doing this long enough. I, I, 
I like to say I know the goods when I see the goods, and and so I I felt confident that he was a good a good player, a top fifty caliber player based on tape. And it's then when I saw him at the Senior Bowl was where I really started to get excited. That, okay, this again is a is a legitimate player, kind of like we talked about before with Andre Dillard, just to get another coog a little bit more love there. That's right. You that's know? right. But um, but that that was the thing is that when you go when you're a small school player. And you go into a senior bowl where you're competing against the Alabamas or the Ohio States or the whatever of the world. And not only do you perform well athletically, but you have the confidence to walk up there with your chest held up high. Like, I know I can compete with these guys. And then to do so, that is that alpha male kind of personality you're looking for, especially at a position like safety where you have to be, uh, you know, uh, you have to be a leader. You have to be able to kind of, uh, you know, motivate the rest of your team. You are the last line of defense in, in most situations. And so that's why I feel very strongly. And this year, Adderley is very much in the mix uh, for not only the Seahawks, but any team that, that is looking for a traditional free safety type uh, in, in this year's first round. I'd be shocked if he, if he falls into the second round just because of the fact that he has been such a consistent, productive, durable player throughout his entire career. Now, I'm going to be selfish right right here. I love the my, one of my underrated favorite parts of the drafts is just the names. Like when the Seahawks drafted Mike Tyson, I was like, what? Mike Tyson? <laughs> yeah, you know, we got Mike Tyson. There's still kids named after, uh, you know, uh, Rakim and uh, Raekwon. Like every kid named Raekwon, I know what he's named after, right? All these kids <laughs> named Nas now. You know, it's got to make people feel feel old. So I would be all for a guy, Seahawks taking a guy named Nasir. I'm all for these next two guys because of almost solely because of their names. Rock Yasin, uh, another defensive back, all for a guy named Rock, and also Darnell Savage. Now, aside from them having really cool names, Rock and Darnell, uh, just what's, what is special about these dudes, and could they possibly be, you know, Seahawkey prospects? They, they could. They, I, I believe that they both are. Uh, absolutely Seahawkey prospects. With, uh, with, with Rock Yasin, I mean, he was a player that was playing, I believe it was a Presbyterian college, a, you know, small school, uh, and they decided to stop playing football. They, they weren't going <laughs> to compete in football anymore. And so he had the option of either trying to go into the NFL draft early, coming as a small school guy, or transfer he wound up transferring to temple um for just this last year just one year at at, at temple and was absolutely terrific there um and and so he's he kind of fits in with the seahawks and because he's physical he he ran very well four fours uh the low four fives in in the 40 yard dash um and he he has good balls not great ball skills that's one of the things i would like to see him kind of improve in that regard but uh of the of the relatively recent Seahawk players, he kind of reminds me of the most of Byron Maxwell in that he is a little bit raw of his technique, but he is very physical. He's very confident. Um, and, and he went to the senior bowl, went to the combine and just killed it there. Um, and, and so I, you know, Anytime you have a player who played a small school who, again, is, shows the confidence, uh, you know, at Temple, it's a team that's kind of in the here in the last few years has become a little bit of a, of a hotbed for talent. And they have this uh, this mantra of Temple tough. If you are one of the toughest, most reliable players on your team, then they reward you regardless of position. They reward you by allowing you to wear a number between one and ten. If you get one of those, or excuse me, one and nine, if you get one of those single digit numbers, that's a 
big, big compliment. For him to be able to do that, uh, I believe he wore number nine. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it was definitely one of the, among the single-digit numbers. To be able to do that in one year, it's very similar to what we talked about before with Gardner Minshew, how that's so impressive to do that in a single season. So I'm a big Rocky Sin fan. Uh, and then Darnell Savage. I mean, the, the kid is a savage. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Nice. He, He's, he's, it's funny because he's not the most physical player. He's a little bit smaller than you might think of a Seahawks type of guy, but he is. He has the ability to play the nickel corner. He has incredible speed. This is a legitimate 4-3 guy. Um, and so that type of speed, the safety position, which is what he played most of the time at Maryland, um, you know, it would be very intriguing. Again, he's not as big and physical, but it, I mentioned Byron Maxwell with, with Rocky Asin. I mean, I hate to say the name Earl Thomas, but that type of speed <laughs> we're talking about here, he, he's not the same type of tackler that Earl Thomas was. Um, but at the same time, he was very, very productive throughout his career at Maryland. He has that type of speed to him. Um, and it gives you some positional flexibility because he can drop and play that nickel spot. And that uh, that is a position of concern for the Seahawks. And if, if for Seahawks fans listening right now, if you if what he said about Rocky Asin sounds familiar with the jersey numbers, that was exactly the case with Jacob Martin, yeah. the uh, outside linebacker they took last year. That's Jacob, right. I believe, wore number nine because he was Temple Tough. And, you know, I can't imagine what you got to do to be Temple Tough, but Jacob earned uh, a, a single-digit number. When I read that, I was like, wow, that's – Okay, that that's cool. And then I wanted to know, like, what what do you got to do? How many heads got to roll <laughs> for you to for you to get a single digit number? But if that if if you're a Seahawks fan, like who's a, who's big on the the upside of a guy like Jacob Martin, who they got in the sixth round, uh, Rocky Asin, to hear he's similarly Temple tough. Uh, that's that's good news uh, for Seattle. Before we switch to the other side of the ball, I got one more name you mentioned him a little bit, but in my like you know month of uh, kind of let's become an expert on these kids I've never seen play. One of the names that intrigued me was uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson out of, out of Florida. What do you like about this kid, if anything? Well, the biggest thing is, is he's, he's one of those guys who can do just a little bit of everything. I Kind of like Darnell Savage, uh, Chauncey can, can drop down and play that, that nickel position. Um, he is also bigger and more physical. Uh, he actually reminds me a little bit of Keanu Neal, who was a, a versatile defensive back at Florida, played some safety as well as Nick Corner, at, at his best at the at the safety position, almost like a strong safety. Um, he wound up going to the Atlanta Falcons, um, of course, where he was playing with Dan Quinn, and you know, Seahawks fans know who Dan Quinn is and, and know the physical nature of what he's expecting out of the safeties. That's the type of player this guy is. He is he is a bigger, stronger, more physical and aggressive uh, type of, of safety. So he is a guy that makes some sense. He, he ran better than I gave him credit for. I mean, he's ran in, in the high four fours, I believe. So for a guy with his physicality to also run that well um, was very impressive. So any one of these safeties, that's, that's one of the reasons, as I mentioned before about like why it was concerning for Taylor Rapp, why it is going to have an impact on his draft stock is because I think any one of these three safeties that we just mentioned, uh, you know, uh, or in the corner as well, and Rocky Asin, I mean, we're all talking about top 50, top 64 guys. These guys are all going to be off the board the first two rounds. And so any one of them makes a lot of sense because I would argue that one of the Seahawks' biggest areas of concern is the fact that they did have some missed tackles in the defensive backfield last year. And all all four of these guys that we've mentioned are all good, solid tacklers and all have the speed to be able to project as, as frontline starters early in their NFL careers. 
I do want to go back to the offensive side of the ball. And weird fact, I just found out that one of the guys at wide receiver, he's actually from Canada. And then I come to find out that Luke Wilson's from Canada, Nate Burleson's from Canada. Oh, you didn't know Nate was from Canada? I had no idea. Went to the same oh. high school as him. How crazy is that? Yeah, no, yeah, it is. <laughs> now I want to talk about Nikhil Harry, Canadian. Oh, that's who's from Canada? Bru- right? Oh, see, wow. You see how it all connects? Oh, okay, okay. He, I mean, I was blown away. I'm looking. I'm like, wow, he's from Canada. Okay, Toronto to be exact. Third all-time leader in career receptions. Receiving yards did his thing. He is the prototype of a big wide receiver. Carroll, clearly, he goes after the big receivers during free agency, a la Brandon Marshall, Mike's favorite. Oh, my God. Didn't work out too well. But ultimately, do you see Nikhil Harry being a fit out of ASU to be drafted by the Seahawks, or is that a reach? No, I think that, to me, he's he's my favorite wide receiver in this draft class in terms of just – he has he doesn't have the athletic ceiling let's say like a DK, DK Metcalf or a Paris Campbell from Ohio State I mean just phenomenal athletes but as far as just he runs routes the way I want them run he catches the ball just about every single time with his hands and that includes when he has defensive backs draped over him uh, and then he is a stud after the catch as well and that he is physical you have to tackle him because he's not going to go down he's not going to run out of bounds and so he's 6'3", 227 pounds. He's big, he's strong. He's been incredibly productive. I mean, he he walked into Arizona State and was a stud from the moment he, he first started playing there. As a freshman, he was a, an all Pac-12 caliber player. He was actually acknowledged as all Pac-12 caliber player his sophomore and junior seasons. I mean, I I just gush about Nikhil Harry. I mean, I, I think that this is a guy that he reminds me so much of Keenan Allen. Back when Keenan Allen came out from Cal, and Keenan Allen fell into the third round, and I just the reason why is because people didn't think that he could run. But again, I think that forty-yard dash time is so overrated. Uh, the Keel Harry ran the low four fives, which had a lot of people surprised by that. I that was about what I thought that he would run. I think that this is a case of a guy who is just a good football player, and because he's so big and strong, then people don't think that he has that. That, uh, that burst and maybe he doesn't have elite burst but he plays fast so I, I don't know that he's gonna necessarily be a player that the Seahawks would consider at tw- number 21 um, I think that there when you look at some of these other receivers out there that there's guys who have so much are so much more explosive um, that and that's the way that the NFL game is going now that you're gonna see you know like a Paris Campbell as I mentioned before the guy that that might get more love on draft day, but Nikhil Harry is the one who I believe is going to wind up starring in the NFL for 10 years. He may never be a pro bowler for wow. you, but he can be one of those guys that I think is going to be just a, 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 as reliable as it comes, um, and, and you might be able to get him in a trade-down scenario and still be able to really build up on this receiving court, because as you mentioned, Pete Carroll, you know, in his tenure, he's always looked for those big wide receivers. You mentioned Brandon Marshall. I mean, going back to Mike Williams, you know, guys like that. I mean, obviously at USC as well as the Seahawks. So that is a position of concern for this team. Um, and, and so I, I would not be surprised at all if a Nikhil Harry or a similarly built wide receiver winds up being one of their draft picks. Speaking of similarly built, who else falls into that category? Because I know the Seahawks offense, they do when they, I mean, you look at who they had this year, Brandon Marshall, Jerron Brown, their big targets. They did a lot of just go down and go get it plays where they had Tyler Lockett, Doug Baldwin running double moves, 
breaking down the defense. What receiver do you think would fit that mode of going down the field, stretching the defense, making big plays, or attempting to make big plays? What receiver do you think would fit that mode outside of Nikhil Harry? Yeah, as I mentioned, Nikhil Harry is my favorite. I mean, DK Metcalf, if you can get him, and there's a possibility because, I mean, he's he has Calvin Johnson-like numbers, but Cal, people forget the Calvin Johnson back when he was in college went to Georgia Tech, and they didn't throw him the football. And and so same thing with D.K. Metcalf. And his problem was that he had a lot of injuries over his career, and injuries scare teams, and so he could fall down. He's the other one who can just go up, and he's almost like a Josh Gordon. I mean, he can take over games when he's on the football field. So if he somehow is available, the, the, the athletic potential that he has is so exciting that he certainly would have to be in that mix. Hakeem Butler from Iowa State, I mean – you guys know, I mean, Wazoo played Iowa State and beat Iowa State to get that 11th win, as you said. Uh, you know, I mean, he's he's six five and changed 227 pounds, ran a four four eight. He can jump through the roof, uh, you know, and he's got the longest wingspan of any wide receiver in this draft class. I mean, talk about a guy who can post up people like a like a power forward and play above the rim. I mean, this is that's the guy. Uh, so Akeem Butler is one of those guys. Now, he will have more drops. I mentioned before, Nikhil Harry doesn't drop the ball. Akeem Butler will drop the ball on you occasionally. But he also uh, can make the spectacular play. Uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside from, from Stanford is a little bit shorter, 6'2", 225. But, but he had a nice workout, and he's another one of those red zone threats um, that, that's really in, intriguing. Uh, you know, and so those are a couple of the players. Another player I'm, I'm, big, I'm high on, but he ran very poorly, is Tyree Brady from Marshall. This is a Miami transfer. He's 6'3", 211 pounds, and he goes up and gets the football really well also. But again, because he ran in the four sevens, that's a pretty scary number. But still, he's a draftable player. If the Seahawks are looking to get somebody in the sixth or seventh round, uh, you know, as they did with David Moore a couple of years ago, based on athletic upside, this is a more polished player who who might be able to you know to, to fill that area of need as far as a red zone go up and get him type of a receiver. Well, okay, so I need to be fair to uh, Nikhil Harry real quick. No one has DK Metcalf's like athletic, you know, upside. DK Metcalf yeah. is like. Draft, draft prospect Thanos. Like, we got <laughs> Avengers coming out, man. I just, first time I saw DK Metcalf, I think, was that picture that went viral where he's yeah. just yoked. And I was like, oh, wow, John Gruden's going to draft the hell out of him. <laughs> In the top 10 or wherever the Raiders are picking uh, early there. And yeah, you, uh, the Butler kid from Iowa State, uh, man, watching that bowl game, I had never heard of the kid. Uh, I thought he was like Des Bryant reincarnated. Like this kid yeah. is just, I think he had like 10 catches for like 188 yards Crazy. against us. Like there's no way we were covering him. Oh, man, he was, that dude uh, was, was definitely a beast. Actually, I like those names. The Butler kid, as soon as he, he whooped up on us, like you say, we beat Iowa State. Let me throw that out there. Uh, I was like, oh, man, that if you're looking for a go-and-get-it dude, that dude looked like a monster. And DK Metcalf looks like an actual monster. Yeah. That's a, DK Thanos, I think. Yeah, workout man. warrior over there. That dude is a, is a monster. A, a name that people may not know, um, but a guy that, again, in my, my research maybe over the last month or so, he's he's come he's come up. Is uh, is Alex Wesley out of Northern Colorado? It's kind of an unknown name, but uh, he's he's got some upside as well, right? No, he certainly does. I mean, this is an interesting player. I mean, it's not often that you see players that come out of Northern Colorado early. 
Um, but that's what this guy did. I mean, he was he was a very productive player in his three seasons there. Um, was redshirt or redshirt uh, junior, and and he he had a phenomenal workout. He's been very very productive. Uh, and he's six foot one hundred ninety pounds. So I just want to throw that out there. We're not talking about the same type of big go get him type of receivers um, as what we were talking about before with you know Harrison Butler, Nikhil Harry, DK Metcalf. Those are all six three and plus kind of a guys. This guy is six foot, 190 pounds, doesn't have real long arms, 31 and a quarter inch arms, but he has good straight line speed, 4.45 in the 40 yard dash at the combine, 38.5 inch vertical jump. So he's a legitimate explosive athlete, can go up and get the football. And he is a little bit more like some of those other receivers I mentioned before, uh, like a Paris Campbell or another player I'm high on, Debo Samuel. Uh, talk about good names, Debo. Yes, uh, yes. absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Thank you. That's a great name. Great name. Debo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's literally from the movie Friday. It's literally why he got the nickname is because he plays to bully growing up. So that's, you know, you, you kind of want, I mean, that's a bad thing socially. It's a good thing on the football field. So let's just throw that out there. But, but anyway, that type of a guy in that he can go up and get the football, but he also is one of those guys who can catch a quick slant, make somebody miss and run away from people. And a lot of the bigger receivers, they are often reliant on just being so physical that they have to, to beat up on people to get away. This guy can run away from people as well. I, I'm so glad you mentioned Debo. When I was yeah. at the Combine, I walked by, like, I'm, I'm walking around aimlessly. I'm not even going to lie. I'm looking for Kyler Murray. I'm like, ah, whatever. Uh, I see Debo Samuel on the name card. It's like, that is his real name, and no one knew. So I walked over. I asked him, I was like, hey, man, where'd you get Debo? And he told the told the story. I was like, are you still a you still a bully? He was like, on the field I am. And I was like, that was a great answer. That's <laughs> I don't know, if, Whether that was yeah, rehearsed or not, that's, that was yeah, such a good too. answer. Yeah, you play at South Carolina, you're in the SEC, and they didn't have a lot of talent around him. And, and he's he's another player that struggled a little bit with injury, struggled a lot, actually, with injuries over his career. But he put it all together his senior year, watched him at the Senior Bowl. Here, I, I try and mention some of the guys who remind me of former Seahawks and, or current Seahawks in, uh, in some cases. But with, with Debo Sam, he reminds me of Golden Tate. I mean, he's, he's six foot, but he's 215 pounds. And so he's almost like a running back and playing wide receiver. And so you see the physicality. I mean, he's a, he's a dynamic return man. He's great on like little jet sweeps and his little quick slants and, and drag routes where you get the ball in his hands and he's looking to steal souls. I mean, he is out there just <laughs> knocking people to the turf. Um, and, and then again, he has the speed to be able to run away from people. And that's the thing. And there's, there, there's only so many Tyreek Hill, Tyler Lockett type of guys who have that explosive, just run by you speed. A lot of these guys have the have have good speed, but they also have the physical ability to be able to just kind of shuck people off of them and then be able to run away that in that way. This is so off topic, but it's it just came into my head with all these names. We should next time we have Rob on, we should literally have a draft where we all go around and we pick four of the best collegiate draft pick names coming in the NFL, and we should draft them. Post, post a poll on Twitter and see who has the best. The, has best, the best names. Line. I'm all for the. I'm all for the best names. That would be crazy. Uh, that sounds like a great mock draft idea. I say we do that. Uh, that would be. Oh my goodness, that'd be fun. Yeah, when I when I was covering Idaho at the Sun Belt, I actually got the Sun Belt like conference to release an all name team. 
because really? I was yeah because like Idaho had a guy named like Colton Thrasher and like somebody else had a guy's name whose last name was like Cash another dude whose name was like Money uh, <laughs> it was just I'd have to go find the list it's like the 2016 all Sunbelt all name team it that, was beautiful that, that just came into my head and I think that would be too fun and let the fans listeners vote on who had the best best draft with the names yeah I, I like that uh, it, it's a great idea I remember when I was first getting into this business there was a player at, at, at Notre Dame named Mike Stonebreaker who was a linebacker and I just thought what a great name for a linebacker and so yeah I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, of this idea just finding some cool names out there because it's funny and sometimes you you have a great name and you have a good game that, that follows it up as well see that's what there that's what matters hey I, I do I do like that uh so I want to I want to get a little quick summary here for Seahawks fans because I think from what I'm hearing and reading about this draft it bodes well for the Seahawks in terms of their needs like I would rank their needs as defensive end safety wide receiver. and wide receiver yeah. and it looks like they're if I have this right Rob they're they're in pretty good shape uh to to land you know good guys in those categories if they play their cards right I believe that they are and I you know, it's going to sound like I'm, I'm giving the Seahawks a lot of credit here, and that's because I am. I think that the Seahawks do a better job than most clubs of not only drafting for this year, but looking at next year's prospects. And like we kind of, you know, we made the joke before about using a first round pick on a running back. If there is one selected in the first round this year, then there's only going to be the one. That'll be Josh Jacobs from Alabama. I don't know if there's going to be a running back that's going to go in the second round. So if you were going to invest a pick in a, in a running back, last year was the year to do it. And we saw the teams that, that did invest early picks in running backs, all of them were successful. Uh, you know, whether it be Saquon Barkley or whether it be Sonny Michelle. And, you know, with with the Seahawks and the Sean Penny, I mean, Again, I mean, you you drafted just because they knew that the team obviously wanted to run the football, and you hoped that Chris Carson would have the type of year that he did. But I, for one, believe that, that Penny uh, could have played a very similar, uh, you know, role and being very similarly productive had he been their starter. That's the thing is that you look at this year's draft class, and as you guys just mentioned, I mean, it's safety, the defensive end, wide receiver, tight end is another position that's very strong. I think the Seahawks potentially could be looking at. You know, it, it, it does bode well for the Seahawks. Now, of course, they have to make those selections work. I mean, they have to draft the right players. But, you know, I would not want to be looking for help at a at a middle linebacker position. Once you get past the top two guys, and there there's a significant drop-off there. Um, you know, I think that uh, the offensive tackle is a position the Seahawks are pretty stacked at now. They have some not only starters, but they have good backups. This is not an elite ta- uh, elite tackle class. Uh, you know, and so some of the positions that are a little bit more of a concern happen to be some of the. I don't know that it's that's just happenstance. I, I think that it's that it is absolutely the way that, that John Schneider and his staff have kind of built this up and set themselves up. Now again, they have to take advantage of it, but this draft does set up nicely for them. Perhaps even so well that they can trade down get some of those picks as we all know is their their mo uh and i think they still can be able to get some very good football players on day two and day three wins we all know they've been more successful with those picks anyways you know that's good to hear that the seahawks had a plan when they let earl go essentially because <laughs> you know if you're gonna sell me on that move you gotta sell me on the plan like if you're not gonna pay earl cool let's pay one of these young cats if there's so many other good safeties uh, in the draft who are going to be you know at a fraction of the cost so it is well, it is good to hear that yeah i mean we're talking about a future hall of famer you know yeah and so that at least in my opinion and so i 
that that's always tough. I don't think that they want to do that. I don't think that 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 went the way that they would have liked that to to have gone down. Certainly, uh, but if there is a year to try to to replace a player of that caliber, then I would argue that this is about as good of a year at safety as I've seen in a long, long time, and that you can find starting caliber players not only in the first round, number twenty one overall, but in the second and third rounds as well. I I very much believe that that you can find starting safeties in this draft class every bit as much as you can at wide receiver and defensive end. Again, the three areas that I would argue are, are the Seattle's biggest areas of concern. Before we, before we get out of here, I did find that Sunbelt Conference all-football name team. Some, I'm not going to read them all because I can't pronounce them all, but like some of my favorites on here, John Law, a linebacker from Appalachian State, a dude was named Money Hunter. Not just money, nice. but he was Money Hunter. Man. That is beautiful. I wonder how he's doing now. How does he, he not have money? his own? He needs his own like accounting firm <laughs> or something like that. He needs to be like a financial analyst or something like that. And then I remember now Georgia Southern had a dude named Ironhead Gallon. Wow. Oh, wow. he did. Yes. I remember that. That is yeah, what that, an interesting name. Yeah. So Ironhead. So yes, we have the template is there. We he sounds like a transformer. <laughs> he sounds like a cool cat. He's like a big dude too. I gotta Google him. Uh, so yeah, we, there's definitely a, there's a market for that. I think because that that went over well. Uh, Rob, we appreciate you again. That is NFL draft analyst Rob Rang, one of the best in the business, uh, not only around draft time, but just like all year when you're uh, you know evaluating not only college but pro prospects, or not just guys in college, which is like how they'll translate in the pros. And they're you know you see how Rob can mention like, oh, he reminds me of so and so. That comes from a knowledge of having uh, you know watching guys on Sundays as well. And Rob, we appreciate your insights, man. Thank you for hopping on with us. No, no problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Anything Always you, a pleasure. Anything you want to plug before we let you go? Uh, I've got – it's funny. I, I work for so many different companies at this point. It's kind of crazy. Um, I, I would definitely mention that we – if you're looking for, like, the draft magazine, then you can just – at stores everywhere, uh, Rite Aid's, Costco's, things like that, Walmart's, um, just Lindy's NFL Draft Magazine is already out there. Um, you can just go – you can always find my stuff at NFLDraftScout.com. Um, you can go – I'll be doing it along with Aaron Levine and – uh, and Ian Furness, I'm going to be helping them with the, the Q13 coverage, um, so our, our TV coverage, and of course, all the work I do with 950 KJR Seattle, um, so lots of different places that you can find my opinions on all the different draft prospects that the Seahawks will or will not be taking this year in the 2019 NFL Draft. Oh, Rob Rang, oh, working so hard around this time of year, man. We, have, we, have, we appreciate the hard work on all the platforms, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. We appreciate it. And on that note, thank you guys for listening to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to it on iTunes. Make sure you follow Chris and I on Twitter uh, as well. I'm at Mike Dugar. Chris is at CKid206. Thank you for listening. We are out.